The old pilot's plane tales, six in one day. The old pilot is two years old, but he's growing up in the most wonderful of times. He's a baby boomer and will one day be a sonic boomer, but he has a little way to go before that. In the year of his birth, the Royal Air Force took delivery of their brand new jet fighter, the Hawker Hunter. The F Mark I wasn't the best of the Hunters, but even so, it was a brilliant aircraft for the time. Powered by the Rolls-Royce Avon, a prototype had broken the world airspeed record. The early Marks weren't renowned for their fuel capacity. Their maximum endurance was about an hour, something that was going to be a major problem for a formation of eight hunters. Being only two, the old pilot doesn't actually remember the event, but luckily somebody wrote it down for him. The early part of 1956 had seen its fair share of RAF aircraft losses. On the 1st of January, a Meteor F-8 crashed when the pilot lost control and the next day a Venom dived into the ground, killing two. The 9th saw a Vampire go into the sea after an engine failure. Two Provost T-1s collided on the 11th and a Canberra suffered a trim runaway that killed the crew on the 16th. A meteor pilot beat up his parents' village on the 20th, hitting a bungalow and killing both of the pilots and two villagers. On the 25th, a starter cartridge exploded during engine start, writing off a hunter. I could go on at length, as during January alone, the RAF wrote off 40 aircraft, some in extremely novel ways. In February, however, there was an event that was so remarkable that questions were asked in the Houses of Parliament. Hansard, the official record of what is said in Parliament, and is to this day written on vellum, made from calfskin, vellum is used for its longevity, as it will survive for more than a thousand years, and is the same material that was used for the Magna Carta of 1215. That aside... The conversation in the house on that day went something like this. Mr. Stokes asked the Secretary of State for air. Will he now make a statement on the loss of the six Hunter aircraft which crashed in Norfolk on Wednesday the 8th of February 1956? The Secretary of State for air, Mr. Nigel Birch, replied, the Court of Inquiry has reported and has shown that the accident was not due to aircraft failure. As a result of its recommendations and of the observations of senior officers upon them, certain summaries of evidence are to be taken. I will make a further statement as soon as possible. Mr Stokes continued... While I am glad to know that there was nothing wrong with the aircraft, in view of the fact that, apart from the tragic loss of life, this accident entailed the loss of £750,000 or thereabouts in aircraft,
will the minister say whether he is now satisfied that the air conditions were such that the aircraft ought to have been sent up? Secondly, will the minister assure the House that the diversion stations had been pre-selected and were properly ready to deal with the situation? Mr Birch stated... The right honourable gentleman's questions are both extremely relevant, but, as the case is sub judice, I would rather not comment on them at this stage. Yes, you heard it right. On one day, well, actually within a period of less than ten minutes, the RAF crashed six fighter jets, costing three quarters of a million pounds. I would make more of a joke about it, but very sadly, one of the pilots lost his life as well as his aircraft. So, what could have gone so disastrously wrong? RAF West Raynham housed the Central Fighter Establishment, a school whose aims were to increase the efficiency of the fighter aircraft and the man who flies it, in all the roles in which the day and night fighter can be used. This is where advanced fighter pilots were trained, tactics developed and weaponeering taught. On the morning of the 8th of February, eight pilots from the day fighter leader squadron briefed up and prepared for their flight. They planned to conduct a high-level mission of 4v4 combat, but the forecast wasn't looking great. When they had all attended morning prayers, the nickname for the morning flying brief, at 8.30, the med officer had said that things looked pretty dismal, but the weather ship took off anyway, and reported that conditions were better than expected and they could get their mission in. So at 10.50, the eight ship blasted off and climbed to 45,000 feet for their training exercise. Operations had told them to get back into the overhead at 20,000 feet by 11.15. The GCA, Ground Controlled Approach, radar was unserviceable at West Raynham, but the systems at RAF's Marham and Waterbeach were fine, so those were the nominated diversion airfields. Their 45,000-foot dogfight complete, the formation descended over West Raynham as briefed, but by now the weather had arrived, and without a serviceable GCA there, the formation was instructed to divert to Marham, where the weather was suitable for a visual approach. They set off in a gaggle to cover the short distance, as the airfields were only 15 miles apart, but the sheet of low stratus that had spread in from the nearby North Sea and taken out West Raynham, soon arrived over Marham. As the aircraft were handed over to Marham Control, the cloud base had fallen to 600 feet and the visibility to less than 1,000 yards. GCA approaches would now be needed. For those not familiar, the GCA is flown following the instructions of a talk-down controller. He uses two radar beams, one orientated vertically and one horizontally, which scan rapidly back and forth and cover the approach to the runway. The controller's instructions come in the form of small turns of a few degrees at a time and small adjustments in descent rate, 
to keep the aircraft on the runway extended centerline and descending down a nominal three degree glide path. They take time to set up and can only deal with one aircraft or perhaps a close formation pair at a time and time was something in very short supply. The RAF Marham controller was at a loss. The aircraft homing towards his airfield and expecting to join the visual circuit were one big blob, and now he needed to get them split up into separate units, individually identified and separated from each other, before they could be positioned into the GCA beam to commence a talk-down. With just ten minutes of flying time left, the hunters just didn't have the fuel to spare. Confusion reigned. With gauges nearly resting on zero, two of the eight were successfully guided in, but for the remaining six, disaster awaited. Whiskey Tango 629 descended to 600 feet, but unable to see the ground, it climbed away and the pilot ejected, with the aircraft crashing into a field two miles southwest of Swatham. Whiskey Tango 639 did exactly the same, but his ejection was prompted by his engine flaming out when his fuel supply dried up. His machine ended up a couple of miles southwest of Swatham. Whiskey Whiskey's 633 story was almost identical, and his aircraft impacted a mile from the first wreckage. Whiskey Whiskey 639 got down to 250 feet, but was still in cloud. He climbed out, and like the others, soon ran out of fuel. After his ejection, Swatham again reverberated to a crash, this time three miles to the south. The pilot of Whiskey Whiskey 603 was on final approach when his engine flamed out, probably too low to trust his Martin Baker Mark II ejector seat. He belly landed the machine just east of the airfield and climbed out of the wreckage unhurt. Sadly, the pilot of Whiskey Whiskey 635 wasn't so lucky. His attempt at a crash landing did not go well and he died in the wreckage of his aircraft a mile or so short of the airfield. There is no report of how the people of Swatham felt when, within a few minutes, six fighter jets rained down around them. I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall at the Court of Inquiry, but unfortunately the documents are not readily available. Hansard and its lovely vellum pages are, however, and in due course Parliament discussed the findings. It would appear that the decision to divert the aircraft to Marham, spaced for visual landings, was correct, but the assumption that visual landings would be possible was not. The court considered that the control staff at West Raynham failed to appreciate that, because of the relative positions of the two airfields, it was probable that any deterioration in the weather at one would shortly after affect the other, thus necessitating GCA approaches. In view of the facts, the Air Officer Commanding-in-Chief of Fighter Command decided disciplinary action was justified against the officers who were concerned with the control of flying at West Raynham at the time. 
one officer was reproved and removed from his appointment, and three other officers were reproved. The Secretary of State for Air stated that he agreed with the action taken. To quote from the Cambridge Dictionary, Reprove, verb, to tell someone that you disapprove of their bad or silly behaviour. Now that sounds like something a two-year-old pilot would be familiar with.